This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Uh, joining me as usual by phone, remotely, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. How are you? Good. Also joining us this morning, former Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, Washington Capitol and a few other stops in between. Sweet Lou Franceschetti, how are you doing this morning, Lou? Morning, well, I'm doing well, thank you. Good, fantastic. Uh, Naz, uh, your thoughts? Uh, another week, uh, we keep going. Um, how are you holding up? Holding up okay, well, holding up okay. Just hope everybody else is holding up well, too. Uh, Lou? How's it going, Louie? You know what, Wally? This thing is a silver lining to to some of us old athletes watching ourselves play in all these games that uh, that are actually rebroadcasted on uh, on a couple of stations here. I got to ask you, Lou. Are there uh, have there been any on uh, any of the old shows that have uh, featured you in any of them? Yeah, I was watching the. Uh, I stayed up a little late last night, and the game is on again today around three o'clock. Uh, the 1987 game against the New York Islanders, where we went seven periods. Oh, that was the uh, was that the uh, longest overtime game in uh, in history? Am I, well, uh, am I getting that them. right? I think it was recently beaten, but uh, I'd okay. say it's in the top five. Yeah, I, mean, I remember there was the old one back in the 30s with uh, I think the Montreal Maroons were in it, and that that had held up for a long time. Is that the, is that the game that Pat Lafontaine scored the winning goal? Yep. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we all shot them seventy-four fifty, uh, and just watching the game and, and looking at the highlights and the chances that we had and the chances that they had to, to put us away. Uh, you know what? It's it, it's an un- unbelievable feeling because as good as the kids are nowadays and as fast as the game was is now, uh, the game was just as good, uh, a lot tougher, a lot more physical, a lot more. Uh, uh, what can you say? It's a little bit more like uh, you have to be prepared uh, in the game, not like some kids are today. Uh, but it brought back a lot of good memories. Got to ask you, is that game on again this afternoon? What's that, Wally? Are they replaying it again? I think you mentioned it's on again this afternoon. Yeah, they're replaying again, I think, at uh, 3 o'clock on Sportsnet. And I just yeah, want to I- let you know, uh, don't have a heart attack when I have a breakaway with 12 seconds left. And uh, <laughs> oh, you had a breakaway takes my feet away from me. Yeah, you you slid pretty far on that play, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lou, I, I, thanks for thanks for uh, tipping me off. I definitely got to watch because I I've long since forgotten. Uh, I mean, I know we've been listening to you for years tell us how great of a hockey player. Now there's there's firsthand evidence on. Uh, <laughs> on <TV this laughs> afternoon, so uh, yeah, near you were number fifteen, if I recall correctly, were you not? Yes, I was. Okay, we'll, we'll certainly be uh, we'll certainly be watching that. Just to let our, our listeners know, uh, 
You know, it's, uh, COVID-19 is a terrible thing, but uh, in some sense, it's, uh, it's, it's been good for the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We've been on a little bit of a roll lately. Uh, seems like a lot of people have some time on their hands, so our, our, our interview list has been, has been phenomenal lately. Uh, Peter Mansbridge, uh, Dave Keon, Brad Park, Dick Pound, Steve Simmons, Stephen Brunt, and today another legend. Uh, I think he's a friend of yours, Lou. Uh, John Shannon. John Shannon, certainly one of the greats in the Canadian sports broadcasting field, has done literally everything in in, in the sports uh, arena. Uh, executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada uh, was there when they launched the Leafs Network. Of course, uh, had been uh, spent uh, quite a bit of time in the recent past watching him on primetime sports with Bob McCowan. Um, um, He's a, he's a consummate storyteller, so we'll have John Shannon on right after the first break, and uh, we'll have him on for most of the show. We've got a lot of material we want to go through with him on his uh, on his Twitter page. Uh, it doesn't have his resume, and there's nobody with a resume like John Shannon. It just says hockey storyteller, so uh, we're, we're going to look forward to that. He's probably uh, got a lot of them uh, living in Edmonton all those years, too. Yeah, so uh, look, I think he may have some Lou Franceschetti stories too. We're going to have to ask him. <laughs> He'll have those for sure, Wally. <laughs> hey, man, take it easy, okay? There's no right, social well, media back then. I just, you know what? I just watched the Leafs play Montreal in Game Six on Sportsnet, an hour of it. And Dave, did Keon you watch that last night? Dave Keon checked John Bellavo into the ice that game. Think yeah. Uh, well, they, they they used to, you know, Dave Keon was the, they called him the ultimate hab killer. Uh, uh, I think we interviewed, uh, I remember the first time we had, we had Dave on, we were doing the tribute show and we had Scotty Bowman and we asked Scotty Bowman what he thought about Dave Keon. And he said, one of the great players ever. The only thing about Dave Keon, uh, the only thing wrong with Dave Keon was he should have been in a Habs uniform coming from Quebec. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, Keon, Keon in the early 60s was, he was the guy you wanted in every single situation on the ice. Um, so, um, certainly. Well, you know, it was funny watching the game last night, to, Wally, that uh, Red Kelly did a pretty good job on uh, Jean Beliveau, too. Yeah, uh, Red Kelly. I mean, they, those used to be the matchups. Uh, Kelly and uh, Beliveau, Keon yeah. and Henri Richard, uh, yep. Keon and Beliveau, and Kelly and Henri Richard, uh, uh, Punch used to mix it up quite a bit, and uh, those, uh, you know, getting the opportunity to watch some of those games again with uh, with the, all this time we have on our hands is certainly, uh, I wouldn't call it a privilege. I'm sure we'd all be love to be doing something else right now, but uh, got to got to take advantage. Uh, Health wise, Lou, how are you holding up? Uh, as best I can. Uh, you know, it, it's just one of these things that you try to do something for a couple hours a day, and then you come back home and. Uh, I think probably this is the most clean and sanitized uh, place I've had for a while because there's really not much else to do except for either watch some TV shows or some old flicks, uh, some old games that uh, that really back. And it's not just hockey. But you look at some of the NCAA games that uh, that I watched growing up, and it just brings back uh, those moments where I was when I when I was watching them at that time. And obviously, you got the NFL games now. You got the NFL uh, draft coming up. Uh, and, you know, uh, as well as I do, I'm a pretty uh, knowledgeable uh, college guy. So I'm watching and uh, hearing 
on, on all the uh, all the stuff that's going on where everybody's going and with having probably six or seven prospects in the first round Alabama's always uh, at the top of the list well they're saying Alabama may they may have six in the first round which will apparently tie the record Miami in 2004 at six in the first round Naz, how are you doing I'm doing fine Wally everything is going well and uh, it's time. That's all. It's time. Everybody's got to be patient, and we'll get through this. Yeah, I, I, I just, uh, um, you know, people ask me how I'm doing. I said, my hair is growing longer. Um, you know, I may head, my, may head back to my grade 13 uh, hairstyle with hair down to my shoulders, if that's the way we're headed. I'm, I'm thinking of checking my closet to see if I have my white pants with the blue, purple, bell-bottom stripes. <laughs> Uh, not so retro, sure I fit into 70s, them. Retro seventies. That was uh, that was the, that was the early seventies. I, I remember I had these had these <laughs> had these white pants with thick purple stripes with bell bottoms so wide that if you got a you got a breeze, it would lift you off the ground. How about shoes? No, I just I just with the fur collar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did they make well, you a little bit taller, Wally? Uh, yeah, it would be making me about five inches taller, but uh, you know the hair is growing longer, and it's not growing any blacker. It's, it's, it's certainly a lighter shade these days. Uh, but uh, I got to dig out some old grade thirteen pictures and see uh, that's what I'm going to look like in about a month or two months. Uh, hair's getting pretty long. Anyways, on that note, guys, hang in there. We're going to go to break, and we're coming back from the break. We'll have the legend himself, John Shannon. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, he'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact-free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca With a little training, anyone can learn the security business while on duty at your home or company. It's unfortunate, but a lot of security companies are just not experienced enough to handle the complex dynamics of tactical security. And that little bit of training and experience can end up costing you a lot more than you bargained for. Peace of mind, trust, and honor is the foundation on which the Regal Security reputation is built. They're driven, they're respected, and they're unrivaled. They're everyday superheroes. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. 
There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on the new AM740, also in Toronto on 96.7 FM and on the internet, live streaming, www.zoomerradio.com. He has seen it, he has done it, and he's been there when it comes to all things sports broadcasting. Broadcasting. I'm talking about John Shannon. We're pleased to welcome the Nazanwal Wally Sports Hour, John Shannon himself. Good morning, John. How are you this morning? Morning, Wally. How are you? We're doing great. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, first question we have to ask you, how are you doing? Well, uh, you know, the sun came up this morning and my coffee is hot and uh, there's not much more I can do. Uh, how are you keeping yourself busy? What was that? Sorry. How are you keeping yourself busy? Oh, I, you know what? I, um, you know, I have I have two dogs that need lots of attention. I have a lovely wife that needs lots of attention, and uh, uh, it's starting to get a little warmer, so the backyard needs some attention. So uh, it's uh, we're doing okay. It's it's uh, kind of like Groundhog Day around here every day, and uh, you just have to get into a routine that's uh, socially acceptable and. Uh, and quite quiet. I, I was joking with my wife the other day that this is the most time we spent since we started dating 32 years ago. So, <laughs> uh, she did sharpen the knives yesterday, but I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> Anyways, uh, John, we're we're trying to go at it. Four guys on the phone at the same time. Uh, you uh, you had a remarkable career as a producer. We may we may uh, lean upon your expertise to manage the manage the flow here. It's not not the easiest thing having having uh, having having a conversation with four people at the same time. Well, anything our... with Francis Getty's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I learned that. I tell you, I learned that a long time ago in Washington. Anything with Francis Getty uh, is tough to manage. I don't know how his coaches ever survived it. Uh, Lou, we we will let you. Do, I'm not going to defend your honor. I'll 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 uh, I'll let you. Uh, Step up to the plate for yourself, Luke. Hey, John, just just remember, I tell everybody, I was there. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. we got to listen to you again, Lou. <laughs> Anyways, this is not the Lou Franceschetti show. It's the John Shannon show, and we uh, we appreciate the banter, and let's, let's have a good time. Uh, John, you, uh, um, I, I do have to ask you this question. You may find it a silly question, uh, but we're, we're on the other side of the aisle here. We're... Uh, we're fans, and uh, you had an incredible career. Uh, you know, it's still going, but 
you were, you know, executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada for so many years. You've produced uh, sports in every realm, the Olympics, CFL football, PGA golf, uh, NASL soccer, probably a whole bunch that I've missed. Uh, an incredible career. What does a producer actually do? Oh, uh, I always, uh, you know, because we speak so much in uh, the lexicon of hockey, I always tell people that uh, a producer is a general manager and the director in television is like the coach. So uh, the producer is the planner. He's the one that uh, in, the, in the long term and the short term decides the editorial flow uh, and, the, uh, and the concept of the program. Uh, and then along with the director, uh, they execute uh, the pictures and the uh, the, the storyline of the show, and uh, add on on top of that uh, commentators that uh, have to work in sync with the producer and the director. So, in, in many ways, what uh, uh, what a producer is is the ring, in television and television sports at least is the ringleader. Uh, anyways, the one that decides. Uh, almost everything, and there has to be somebody where the buck stops, and it, in, in television it stops with the producer. Uh, John, uh, before we move on to other topics, I'll turn it over to uh, turn it over to Nash shortly. Um, you grew up in British Columbia, uh, went to school at uh, in Ryerson, I believe, in the program there. We almost we almost crossed paths. So I was supposed to be there at the same time you were. My career path took a different uh, a different turn at that point. Um, growing up in British Columbia, uh, and listen to some of your other interviews recently with Millard and with uh, with Siegel. Uh, tell our listeners, no, you got the bug uh, to get into sports broadcasting really, really early. And uh, tell us, uh, you you literally wanted to get into the sports broadcasting business when you were eight years old. Yeah. Tell us, tell yeah, us how you I got did. from an eight year old uh, well, in you know, Oliver. It's funny, we uh, I grew up in a really small town near the Canada U.S. border in the middle of. Uh, in the middle of BC, uh, uh, in, in the Okanagan Valley, um, where um, if you didn't play sports, uh, there wasn't much for you to do uh, other than go to church. Uh, and I wasn't big at going to church, so um, so we played every sport. Now the only the only downside to that, Wally, was that we didn't have a hockey arena, and on top of that, I couldn't skate. So, uh, so we played every sport other than hockey. Uh, so the only foray I had into the game was in the Pacific time zone was Saturday night at 5.30, which is when the game started halfway through or late in the first period from Maple Leaf Gardens of the Montreal Forum uh, to watch uh, the Maple Leafs or Canadians play. Um, and I fell in love with the business. Uh, simply because that was that was our connection to the outside world. We had one TV channel, the CBC, and then we had tons of radio that boomed into the through the mountains, uh, all over the western United States, and and Calgary, and Edmonton, and Vancouver, and Kamloops, and and other other cities. And, and it became the link. It became so vital to what we wanted to do. And uh, early on, I just fell in love with the fact that I could listen to voices from San Francisco and voices from Denver and voices from Seattle and Vancouver. And I was in this small town near the border uh, where you, you, you knew almost everybody in town. And so I, to me, there was 
there was a, a captivation, there was an absolute magic about the broadcast world, particularly radio, uh, at that time. Uh, and then, uh, so as as I I grew up, grew older, I ended up having my own radio show. Uh, uh, by the time I was 13 to the time I graduated high school, every Monday and every Friday to talk about high school sports. Uh, and then at, at, it was at that time I decided I wanted to get into broadcasting, and my parents were very supportive. Uh, they were they were school teachers. My brothers are school teachers. And in many ways, I've always viewed what I've done as a storyteller and talking about it as similar to being uh, a teacher. So that's how I got into the business and, you know, moved from small town. Uh, spent one year in Vancouver at the University of British Columbia just to get the feel of what it was like to live in a big city. And then at the age of 18, transferred to Ryerson in Toronto. And the rest, as they say, might be history or, uh, as my wife says, it's kind of anticlimactic. But, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's the way things are. John, you've been on both sides of the mic. Which one do you prefer? Uh, Naz, you know what? I, it, you know, I, I love both sides. Uh, I will tell you right now that the three of you, and 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 if I was getting paid today, I'd say the same thing: is uh, we're stealing money. Um, you know, being a being an announcer, being a commentator is much easier, uh, in in my opinion, than than the the arduous work, the setup time, um, the, the the logistics of creating uh, a, a a television show. Uh, and then and then executing the plan because uh, you, you have to be a team leader for forty to fifty people, and you have to uh, you have to make sure that you, you can be uh, authoritative yet fair. Uh, and there were times that I I will admit that I was I may have been authoritative, but I may not have been fair. Uh, so it, it, it's a, a much less nerve wracking job being a commentator than it is to be a producer. Uh, John, you were the executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada for a, a number of years. And Hockey Night in Canada, uh, certainly when we were growing up uh, for the longest time and probably still today, I would suggest I'd still make the argument that it still is a cultural institution in this country. Um, I'm sure there were, so you were, you were uh, that, that responsibility and privilege was bestowed upon you for a significant amount of years, and, and at a young age as well. Um, well I, I, got, I got really lucky. I, you know, when, when I moved to Toronto, uh, Wally, I, uh, I, I got into uh, a, a group of people that were working in sports right away, uh, became friends, uh, lifelong friends, became you know, quite influential people within the industry. Um, and uh, so as a teenager, I started to work uh, on Hockey Night in Canada, um, Wednesdays and Saturdays at Maple Leaf Gardens, ten dollars a game and a and a pay, and a baby blue jacket. <laughs> and I would tell you that the baby blue jacket was more important than the ten dollars a game. Uh, and it was a it, it it wasn't just a television show. It was it was a philosophy. It was a way of life. Uh, and you learned so much about the industry. You learned so much about how to tell a story. Uh, just by being around, in my mind, some of the best broadcasters that Canada has ever created, uh, and they were they were kind enough in those early years to me to share their knowledge and share what they knew and how to do it uh, at a time when 
the television industry was starting to boom, uh, that hockey was starting to grow too. Because remember, so when I when I started in '76, I think there were 16 teams or 17 teams in the NHL. Uh, obviously, I watched it when there were six, but uh, and so by the time. Uh, the end of the decade, the end of the 70s occurred, and uh, the WHA teams, the four of them joined. I was at the right place at the right time, and, and that's, in the end, I, I spent close to 20 years uh, in and around the Hockey Night in Canada world uh, and, and view it as uh, some of the, the, the most fun I've ever had in the business, the most prolific time I've ever had in the business. And, and, and really, it was, it, was, it was part of being the elite of the elite. It was like playing for a championship team for 20 years because every year Hockey Night in Canada went to the Stanley Cup final. And we were uh, lucky uh, enough to be around all of it all the time. Uh, uh, Lou, Lou, all the years that you've had there, um, which one probably stands out the most with all the years that you've produced uh, any, uh, whether the Olympics or even the, the World Cup? Uh, and what kind of cast of characters have you met uh, over that time? Well, um, there, there really are two different uh, storylines there, Lou. In that, uh, I view what Hockey Night stood for totally different than what the Olympics were. Uh, you know, I was for the longest time I was a big believer that the that that winning the Stanley Cup uh, and being part of the Stanley Cup tournament every year was so vitally important, uh, and was 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 my life's dream to do that. And then what happened when the Olympics came along, that, that changed it a little bit because, because the Olympics were just a, a, another different cultural event, not just a sporting event, but a cultural event. Um, so I, I, my time at Hockey Night doing the, the, the regular season and the Stanley Cup playoffs, I mean, there's a, a boatload of games that I'm very proud of to, to be part of. And, and, and to be honest, I wasn't, you know, I... <laughs> I didn't skate, I didn't play, I didn't shoot the puck, uh, but I was there and I was part of uh, the conduit between the game and the and, and the viewers, and that 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 excited me. So I, when you look back, I when Wayne Gretzky scored his 50 goals, the five goals that night against Philadelphia, 50 goals in 39 games. I was lucky enough to produce that game uh, in Edmonton at uh, Northlands Coliseum, my first Stanley Cup final uh, at the age of 23 uh, was. Uh, uh, the the first Islander Cup, uh, and I was lucky enough to produce Bob Nystrom's overtime winning goal game, Game Six at the Coliseum. Those were important. Uh, uh, I had moved to um, I had moved to Alberta uh, to be the Western producer uh, in 1980. Uh, so I, in fact, what I did I didn't have one team. Uh, I had four. I had Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, and Winnipeg, and. Uh, I wasn't married at the time, uh, loved getting on airplanes, loved producing hockey games, and so I was producing four or five games a week in different cities constantly. Uh, so the 1980s to me were the, the healthiest years of my career. They, it really created a, um, a, a bed of, uh, of experience when you consider that between 1980 and 1990, uh, I produced games where, if it wasn't the Islanders, it was the Oilers, who I produced regularly, it was the Flames that I produced regularly, or it was the Canucks in 1982 that I produced regularly. 
So I, I, was, I was going to the Stanley Cup final as the producer a lot, uh, working, and, and those days, into May. It wasn't into June. It was into May. And that was, to me, that was the ultimate thrill to be uh, right in the, in the eye of the hurricane every year. Uh, that was a big part. Uh, the other one was in doing the Olympics, and sorry to take so long, but in doing the Olympics, uh, lucky enough to be part of uh, what I viewed the, the best cultural experience of my life was the, the Winter Games in Lillehammer, Norway in 1994. It was, it was a small-town Olympics. It was like having the Olympics in Hunts, Huntsville, and it was so much fun, and the Norwegian people were so great. And now, if you're from a hockey perspective, if you remember, that was the the team that Tom Rennie coached that um, uh, went all the way to the gold medal game. And we didn't even expect him to get to the medal round. And so they became a real Cinderella story. In fact, we we had to make a deal with the network is that uh, we only had one channel. It wasn't the case of having five or six channels and you watch skate, figure skating over here and uh, downhill skiing over there and hockey on another channel. But we made a deal that there was so much demand to watch figure skating and so much demand to watch hockey that we stuck with hockey, and we made a deal that as soon as the Canadian team lost a game, we would switch and, and prioritize figure skating. Well, the Canadian team didn't lose until the gold medal game, uh, and so it and it, it really helped our ratings and, and made it made for a great storyline. And if you remember, that was the year of Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding as well. So we had tons of stuff to talk about. And then I was lucky enough to be uh, executive producer of the host broadcaster. When the NHL players came to the Olympics in 98 in Japan, I did NBC in Salt Lake in 2002, where the women won on a Thursday and the men won on a Sunday. Uh, so to me, from an Olympic perspective, Louis, that, the, the Salt Lake Games um, and the most emotional I ever got in a TV mobile uh, wasn't the men's game. It was the women's game on the Thursday night uh, where I was the only Canadian working on the crew. Uh, and for some reason, the, the crew of 65 people decided that they would congratulate me for winning the gold medal as, as the women uh, got, their, uh, got their medals and sang Oh Canada. That was a very emotional moment for me. Now, when you finished Wayne Gretzky's last game, what was that like? Actually, no, that was 21 years ago yesterday. Wow. Uh, at Madison Square Garden in New York. Uh, it, was, uh, it was something to behold. We had uh, we had put together, and we, we really hadn't decided to televise the game. I think until the Tuesday prior, uh, TSN did the Thursday game in Ottawa, uh, his last game in Canada. Uh, Gord Cutler was the producer there, a good friend of mine. Uh, he did an outstanding job, and Wayne was, of course, Wayne was just a gentleman on the ice, staying out and waving to the people at. I think it was called the the Corral Center at that point. Um, but we had his last game, Pittsburgh versus the uh, versus the Rangers at Madison Square Garden on a on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, my my favorite my favorite story of that was that uh, if, and and Louis would recall this the last Saturday of every season regular season usually was either Montreal at Toronto or Toronto at Montreal, um, and we would get ready for the playoffs after that. So uh, I had to call Bob Cole, who was normally calling that last Saturday night of the regular season between the Canadians and, and Maple Leafs. And I said, Bob, I've got some bad news for you. You're not doing the Maple Leafs and the, Canadi- uh, Maple Leafs and the Canadians at the, at the Bell Centre. And Bob almost came through the phone at me. 
<laughs> Bob was so angry that he couldn't understand why he couldn't do that last game. I said, well, I've decided to let you do Wayne's last game, too. Well, that changed the whole perspective of a, a fun little phone call. And so Bob and Harry obviously did the, uh, uh, did the game uh, from, the, from the garden, and Wayne was such a gentleman. Uh, how many time, How many encores did he do that night? How many sticks did he exchange? Uh, the hockey game itself wasn't great, but the spectacle of being at Madison Square Garden, uh, where, which I view still to this day as probably the greatest arena to watch a sporting event, no question, it come, no one comes close to being at the, uh, that arena. Uh, that um, that that to me was that to me was a night, uh, an epic night that. Uh, uh, in many ways, uh, bookended Gretzky's career so eloquently, and and I luck again, lucky enough just to be have a, a little part of it. Uh, we're talking to John Shannon. John, this would be an appropriate time for us to go to our second commercial break. Uh, uh, we chatted. You've agreed to stay on, um, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll after we come back from break, we'll uh, we'll take it to the end of the hour with John Shannon. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced contact-free delivery. Order and prepay online and choose contact-free delivery. The driver will place your order on your doorstep in a nice, clear, protective bag. Then he'll politely stand back two metres and call the number on the receipt. Once you answer the door, he'll give you a little toodaloo and off he goes. Contact-free delivery from pizzaville.ca or the Pizzaville app. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. The security business is easy, right? Anyone can learn it. Perhaps they can learn it on duty with your valuables at stake. Perhaps they can learn it in a crisis situation that requires an immediate intelligent response when lives are at risk. After all, what harm can a few mistakes make? Plenty. When it comes to security for your business or office, an experienced partner like Regal Security makes sense. Security is what they do. Peace of mind is what they provide. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. Are you real ready? If you're a real estate agent, we can help you sell more homes. A business owner? We'll help show it off to the community at large. And if you're a homeowner, we'll supply accurate floor plans for every room in your home. Because selling property is all in the details. Real Tours Media. Creators of 3D virtual tours, walkthrough video, HDR photography, logos and brands. Check out the one-stop shop for successful real estate agents. Realtoursmedia.ca 
There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Opinions expressed on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on New AM seven forty. Joining us this morning, John Shannon. John, are you still with us? I'm here, Wally. Great. Uh, Naz, Lou, we didn't cut you off, did we? No, I'm here. I'm still here. Everything. We're firing on all cylinders today. Anyways, uh, John, I wanted to get into something. Um, um, listen to these names. McCowan, Kiprios, McLean, Shannon, Cherry, Millard, and a whole bunch of sport and a whole bunch of soccer guys. Used to be with Sportsnet, no longer with Sportsnet. John, what happened? Oh, yeah, I think you'd have to ask the people at Rogers. I mean, and you're, uh, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're a pretty astute guy. You're a pretty astute guy, John. What's your theory? Oh, I, you know what? That's beyond me, uh, Wally. I, uh, uh, this is a business that uh, never, ever d- doesn't surprise me anymore. Uh, there is little logic and very little common sense in our business. Uh, and if uh, between politics and budgets, if uh, that's what Rogers wanted to do, then that's Rogers' business. Uh, the, the fingers are pointed at the fingers. Some fingers have been pointed at the uh, deal that Rogers did with the NHL, the billion-dollar deal. Um, and I've heard some of the comments you've made on that deal. Uh, you know, financial. You know, the numbers broken down would lead one to the conclusion that that hasn't panned out the way it, it, they had anticipated. Uh, but there are other there are other factors involved in that deal that were non perhaps non financial, which was the point about uh, being able to dominate NHL broadcasting in Canada. Um, is that a fair comment? Well, um, listen. The part part of the issue um, with whatever people think the, the lack of performance of the Rogers hockey contract, a lot of it can be pointed back to the the one thing that Rogers couldn't control. And that was the performance of the hockey team. You know, I, I, I mean, when we look back at that, the first year and remember it, gosh, it's a long time ago now, I think it's six years ago, uh, where there were five Canadian teams in the playoffs. Um, that was a different world. That was a pretty good time. Um, when you went uh, not too far into the future, when no Canadian team made the playoffs, that changes the whole perspective of of the deal. Um, you, you know that Rogers paid five point two billion dollars for a twelve year deal, um, probably without analyzing um, where the teams, the seven Canadian teams, were on their performances and. The ebbs and flows of the game, and 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 probably never even considered the fact that a Canadian team had not 
won the Stanley Cup uh, since 1993, uh, and you can count the amount of times on one hand since then the a Canadian team went to the Stanley Cup final. Um, from a business perspective, uh, I would have done the same thing. I would have tried to buy all the rights. I would have tried to control. Um, I would have tried to control the market when it comes to hockey in this country. Uh, how to execute the plan? That's a different story. Uh, and and I probably would have done it much differently than they did. Now, John, is there is there two uh, room for two sports radio stations in Toronto? How about three, Nat? Let's do three. Let's do a third one. Who's the third one? Well, no, no. Let's let's make a third one. Why not? Uh, Listen, you know what? Uh, I I, I, uh, make it happen, John. I I know there's (laughs) other people that might be interested in doing that. Uh, Make it happen and uh, send us an invitation. The interesting thing about where where radio is right now. uh, and I, I, it, it has something to do with the pandemic. I, I think that we're learning um, from a from a, uh, a logistics and technical side in broadcasting, not just in radio. That do you need all the infrastructure that radio stations and television stations have always had in order to deliver content to the to the viewing or listening public? And the answer is, I, I think a lot of people have found out, is the answer is no. And I, I, I think it's something that, for the longest time, uh, the, the, the broadcast world has really decide, said, no, we don't want to go there. Uh, and the pandemic has forced us to go there. Uh, so there's a lot more stuff done remotely. Uh, I mean, I remember back when, uh, when Bob McCowan uh, did his show remotely and he was living in Las Vegas. We thought Bob was the outlier. He was different. He was... There's no way that's going to work. Well, in the end, and here we are in 2020, everybody should be doing the show from Vegas or from, you know, from Capus Casing or from Etobicoke or from Mississauga. Uh, there's, there's no reason, there's no real reason in so many ways now to put people in the same studio, uh, in the same location in order to communicate. Um, and that's the, that's the one, I, I think that that's the one you know, changing perspective that we're going to see come out of the pandemic is that we're going to see a totally different structure of how our industry uh, is going to perform and going to be executed. Lou? Uh, I just wanted to bring back some old memories. Uh, Wally and I were talking uh, at the start of the show here. Uh, Where were you on that night of uh, 1987? I think you were co-producing the... uh, the game between us, uh, the Washington Capitals, and the New York Islanders, and and what did you think of it being so late? No, I wasn't because I, I was I, I was doing in, in the West by then, Lou. So I was uh, that was uh, uh, you know that was the famous uh, Kelly Rudy versus Bob Mason night and Pat Lafontaine scoring the goal. And I think there were a lot of people within the in the hockey world saying, "Oh, you know what? The Islanders just find ways to do it, particularly against that team, particularly against the Caps." Who were um, at that point? The way I don't have to remind you, they were the, you know the Capitals appeared to be the bridesmaid, always you know had had really strong and were improving every year in the regular season, but then faced somebody uh, that they just couldn't couldn't beat in the playoffs. Whether it was the Islanders, whether it was the Flyers, 
Uh, to me, uh, from I, I, I'm not sure you were on the team. You were, I'm, I'm sure you were the night that you finally beat the, the Philadelphia Flyers and Dale Hunter scored on the breakaway. Yeah, I was there. Man, to me that was uh, from, and I loved going. By the way, I loved going to the old arena. I loved going to the Cap Center. Uh, it was out in the middle of nowhere, but uh, it was a great atmosphere. It was it was dark off the ice. Uh, you, the organization was such a great organization to work with, and we had so much fun there. David, when David Poyle was the general manager there, and I knew David from the time he, we were in Calgary together in the early eighties. And that the arena was so far out of town, David would give me his car for the day if I wanted to go anywhere. I mean, I don't know any general manager in the NHL would give me his car now. But David would say, here, take the car. If you need to go out back to the hotel, take it, because there's nothing to do here for the next couple of hours. And I just, I loved going to the Cap Center and working. Uh, and I loved the, I think the passion of the fans in Washington uh, was, was tremendously underrated in those days. It wasn't a big fan base, but they were really rabid Caps fans. Uh, and that team that you played on was was one that I really enjoyed being around. Uh, talking to John, I remember the '98 year, the year that you were talking about, where uh, where Dale we, we knocked off the Flyers in Game Seven in, in overtime. Yeah, it was the next series that really brings back uh, even more memories because uh, Shaney was on that team, and that was a bloodbath uh, in, in Game Seven, uh, going through Game Seven, and uh, we thought we had him taken. But uh, Adam uh, Pat Verbeek decides to. Well, he doesn't decide to, but happens to uh, cut uh, Rod Langway's uh, Achilles right. uh, in Game One, and he's gone for the whole series. Yeah. So we're really battling uh, an uphill battle to to stay with them. But I'll tell you, there, that was one series against New Jersey that if you talk to uh, Brendan Shanahan, it, it was it was a total war uh, all seven games. Well, you know what they again. We uh, in th- those were years, if you recall. And playoffs are different, but those were years where not every game was televised, Louis. Um, and uh, and there were lots of lots of great games and lots of great teams uh, in that period of time, the late '80s, the early '90s, uh, particularly in those divisions where Philadelphia and Pittsburgh dominated so much that we never really gave too much respect to people like the Devils and, and your Caps teams. They were they were fun to watch, but we didn't get to see them enough, and so we didn't know very much about them. And I'm sure there were times you came back to Toronto for the summer <laughs> times, and they'd say, so what have you been doing? Uh, John, uh, a couple of weeks ago we had Don Cherry on the show for, uh, for the entire hour, actually, and uh, we didn't really chat with him about what happened in November but uh, and I know it's a really really difficult conversation. Uh, I know Don's a friend of yours, and so is Ron McLean. Um, you weren't on the air, and McCowan wasn't on the air uh, the week after that happened, and that was unfortunate uh, in this sense. There because I would have loved to have heard. I mean, we've been big fans of primetime sports forever, and we yep. always enjoyed listening to you and listening to Bob, and the round table was a personal favorite of mine. Um, if you had been on the air, have you ever thought about this? If you had been on the air with Bob, uh, how would you have approached it, the discussion? You know, Wally, that is, uh, that's a great question because I, I actually... Uh, I mean, I, obviously, we were all disappointed that last summer we got let go. Um, but that was a week that I was glad I wasn't on the air. 
So, uh, because both Ron and Don are great friends of mine to this day. Uh, I have the utmost respect for both of them. Uh, we have been through battles with each other and together and, and, and have come out of it better for it. Uh, and I would have been a puddle. I would have been a puddle because I, uh, I, I, I wouldn't wanted to criticize one without the other, and I wouldn't have wanted to praise one without the other. Uh, it was a very difficult time. It was a, an, in, in fact, I can tell you that that week, that week, because it was a Saturday, and then Ron went on the air Sunday and apologized. My phone started ringing on Monday morning at around 8.30, uh, and I turned down 65 radio interviews that week to, to talk about it because it wasn't my place. Uh, it wasn't my business, uh, and, my, and my answer then was, uh, I am not part of the story, and I choose not to be part of the story. Um, time has changed that a little bit, uh, but at the same time, I, uh, I, I, I can see both sides. I can see all three sides, in fact. Uh, I'm disappointed for Don more than anyone uh, in that I, I would have liked to have had Don go out the same way that you know we were able to treat the greats of our game, uh, whether it be a player like Gretzky or the way Dick Irvin was treated when he retired um, or the way that uh, uh, Bob Cole got treated uh, recently. Uh, I'm not sure Don would have enjoyed it as much, but I, I think he, he deserved that. Uh, and to have it happen this way is, uh, in, in my mind, a, a real shame. The interesting thing that Don, we, we didn't delve into it um, at length with Don. He, he didn't particularly want to chat about it. We had talked about it in our show back in November and made our viewpoints known then, so we didn't want it to. But he, he interesting comment that came from Don, and, and it sort of it sort of it, it, it sort of it segues into something you've said um, publicly on on some of the shows you've been on. Uh, Don said, if Ralph Mellenby had been around, uh, he would have figured out a solution to this. And you sort of said. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't remember your exact words, but um, well, I can tell you my exact words. It wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Can you tell us? Tell us what you meant by that. Well, for, well, first of all, let's, let's talk about Don's first thought about Ralph, because Ralph, um, in the end, was the godfather of hockey night in Canada. Uh, in the seventies, when I started, he was the one who brought Don to the show in the early eighties. Um, and, and Ralph treated the hockey night clan, uh, like a hockey team. Um, and so, and the hockey team in those days, less now, lesser now, but, uh, but in those days was what happens in the room stays in the room. Uh, and we'll fight this together. And I may not agree with you in the room, but once we get outside the room, I'm on your side and we're all in this together. Uh, and that was the legacy that, that Ralph created for all of us. And, and I, I, I truly believe those of us that worked for Ralph learned that from him. Uh, and to this day, I think that that loyalty factor is a big part of what, is, what made Hockey Night so special. And I'd like to think anywhere I've worked is that loyalty is a big part of why we become successful. 
Um, so that's the Ralph side. The Ralph Ralph would have found a way to work around it. Um, uh, the, and John, when, what when I say done? when I say that it wouldn't have happened, is is that I believe that the structure of the show, when when Don and and Ron were doing it in November, was such that it was there wasn't much editorial assistance made from production. And I, you know, there were there were days that uh, when I was there running the show that we would discuss what was going on and what was going to be said, and and if there were touchy issues and touchy topics and subjects, we would talk it through on how it would be said. And in the end, it uh, was something that we were happy with as a group, not just one person. And uh, well, Don, well, Don would always tell you he wasn't much of a team player. He understood more than anybody what Hockey Night in Canada stood for. Um, forgive me, Naz, and forgive me, Lou. Um, we've only got, uh, as I'm sure you've heard this phrase a zillion times, John, time is our enemy. Uh, we've only got two minutes left, and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the franchise, Bob McCowan. You spent a lot of time with him. He uh, he sort of created a whole genre. Um, you spent a lot of time with Bob McCowan. Your thoughts on Bob? Well, I, I, I will say it this way, and I'll be brief, is that I have had the great fortune uh, of working with, in my mind, the three greatest sports broadcasters in our country, Dave Hodge, Ron McLean, and Bob McCallum. And I would go to war with any of them at any point because they know what they want to do, they do it at the best of their ability, and they make it entertaining for the listener or the for the viewer. Naz? Yeah. With Bob McCallum was with something. Uh, what made him click, John? Uh, what was the thing that made him click? Uh, he had the ability to listen to anything and make a, and, and ask a question that was pertinent to what he was told. He was the best listener, is, is the best listener I've ever been around. Had the ability to 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 incorporate a new question that would uh, would basically tell the the interview subject, hey, I heard you. Now we're going to move on, and the, it would captivate the person on the other end of the phone or the in the studio that w- that would make Bob feel Bob made that person feel very very special. Uh, we've been talking to John Shannon. John, uh, as usual, I've only got through about half of what we wanted to ask you. Your career's way too extensive to uh, boil it down in an hour. Hopefully we can do this again. We very much appreciate it. The 10 o'clock uh, uh, ticker is about to hit us. John, I'll, uh, I'll leave it off at this. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope to hear you on some station, on some roundtable in the very near future in the greater Toronto area. Thanks so much maybe, for joining maybe us. Maybe the third radio station. Yeah. The third radio station. It good started to talk, here. Good to it talk started to you guys. here this Sunday morning on Zuba good, Radio, John. Good to hear you. So Even you, Lou. <laughs> Thanks, John. It's my pleasure. <laughs> thanks, guys. Uh, I'll take it over from here. Thanks, John. Lou, thanks for joining us. Naz, I always give you the last word. I'll give you the last word. Thank everybody you need to thank. Stay safe. All the best. To all our listeners, Have a great week, and as Naz says, please stay safe. We'll be back next Sunday morning. Thank you. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.